Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Blitz Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz, episode 402, Oscar Lopez in the house. We're going to be followed here by the Hall of Famer, Holly Custis. We're going to be talking everything first hour college football as we get ready for the New Year's Bowls coming up here in the middle of December all the way down to January 10th for the National Championship. We're also going to be talking uh, women's Gridiron International news, uh, the FX Mexico Final, uh, CFF Week 3 in Italy. We're going to dive into the Liga uh, Monterey, Liga Elite Monterey as well, plus Gridiron uh, West Week 8 with uh, Mark Simone, backseat coach, coming in here in about an hour or so. And then we're going to finish up the extravaganza the last 30 minutes with the salty one, Mackenzie Brooks, as we dive into NFL Week 13. Also kind of preview Week 14 key games and playoff scenarios that we're going to be looking forward to this next weekend on in Week 14. Don't forget to subscribe to our Apple podcast and download now over 400 episodes of the podcast. Go to the podcast link right there at the hub at facebook.com forward slash gridiron beauties. And don't forget to sign up for Monkey Night Fight during the 2021 NBA NFL season. Use the code NJF. Get a $5 free play up to a $100 match. So don't forget monkeynightfight.com forward slash NJF to get started. Let's bring in the Hall of Famer here. Let's start breaking down college football for week 13. So, Holly, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Uh, doing a lot better, of course, this week. So, a lot better, better. Um, what Good. do we say of this whole uh, shakeup here? Uh, we get Cincinnati in the mix. Uh, unexpectedly, we thought it'd be somebody else, but uh, they get to crack this uh, group of five, and a lot of people were not happy that because of Georgia's loss, they should have been out. They should have never been in the dance. And uh, questionable things for Alabama as well throughout the whole season. So uh, a lot of people basically consider this more of a crapshoot Final Four, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, it was a, a definite uh, crazy championship weekend. And um, I think, you know, until we get to the point where there's an expanded playoff, <clears throat> you know, probably even then, but hopefully a little bit less then, um, you know, somebody's always going to be unhappy. Uh, you know, I think, you know, going into the weekend um, that Cincinnati had to feel pretty comfortable that as long as they won, um, that they would be in. Uh, uh, Georgia losing to Alabama kind of opened the door a little bit, but uh, I think, um, you know, uh, Michigan holding firm and uh, beating the breaks off Iowa kind of uh, kept – you know, Cincinnati in there. If Michigan had lost, I think you might have seen a little bit more chaos. Um, but I do think Cincinnati deserves, you know, a shot. And this is the first time we've actually seen a, you know, non-Power 5 uh, team in this playoff since they started doing it. And there's been a few teams in the past that have been close, uh, but they haven't been able to get there. And, you know, so you have to, you know, tip your hat to Cincinnati. I really think it's a big deal to their program that they were able to, uh, you know, go through the season 
and send off all the uh, distractions and all the noise and just focus on themselves. And they did what they needed to do. Um, Houston, you know, uh, wasn't an easy opponent for them. It was definitely a competitive game until late. I, I think that uh, Cincinnati just was able to, to hold them off and do what they needed to do. Yeah, and you talked about the fact that um, coming in Alabama against Georgia, that was going to be a big game. And I said, you know, defensively, this Georgia team was pretty stout. But uh, overall, you know, Saban surprises us. And uh, I guess the committee rewarded him based on the upset of Georgia. And they just kind of like gave Georgia the nod because of the great season they had all year pretty much, right? Yeah, you know, and the interesting thing is, you know, the problem with Georgia, they have a great front, you know, seven. But, you know, I said last week going in that if Alabama, you know, wants to win this game, that their receivers have to have monster games, and that's what happened. Uh, you know, uh, Williams had 184 yards. Messi mm-hmm. had 97 yards, and that was like halftime, and he got injured. He might have had even more. They threw the ball for 421 yards, and that's what they needed to do. And because that's the strength of their team. And so, you know, Saban is not a fool. He knows, like, hey, Georgia is really strong up front. We're not a very consistent running team. We're going to sprinkle in some run, but we're we're better in the passing game. And what happened is once Alabama kind of pulled away a little bit on the scoreboard, Georgia is not built to come from behind, not in this, not, uh, in this kind of shootout type of game that they would have needed to put up. Uh, to be Alabama in this game. Now, that being said, you know, if they end up, um, uh, you know, in, in the playoffs going against each other, I think you, it might be a different story if Georgia gets out early. It just really depends uh, on the style of football that's being played because really you're kind of having a, a conflict between two schemes and two styles of playing football, right? And so you got to tip your hat to Bryce Young. I really think – you know, going into the weekend, I wasn't quite sure. I was leaning towards he would probably get it. But, you know, I think this game probably sealed it for him uh, on that big stage. And you got to understand that it is really hard to beat Saban, right? I mean, there's a, there's been that statistic that oh, yeah. I don't even know what his percentage is against former coaches, but it's like 95%. And he's faced a lot of former coaches that he – Use for mentor, <laughs> and they they he they just can't win against him, and uh, you know it only you know happened this year when they lost earlier this year. So um, I do think that uh, Georgia will be just fine. Um, they need to kind of rebound and focus on the playoffs, but I think they're going to be fine. I think that when we talked about last week when we we said Georgia really needed this right to kind of surplant themselves right. above Alabama, and they really needed to step forward. And to your point, they just could not do it, especially when they fell behind. And losing by 20 is a big margin. They lost by seven. Right. I want to say, you know, something like that. But they lose by 20. And to your point, they really could not come back in that sense. So they're going up against – I mean, uh, let's just finish up here with, the, with Alabama, Cincinnati. So Cincinnati here – Literally a Cinderella story, right? Because if they can take down the big, big monster here, that would be a shock of shockers in in this season alone. Oh, definitely. I think if you had <laughs> uh, Cincinnati 
going in, um, you know, into that bowl game in, in Texas and somehow pull off the win against Alabama, I think it would definitely shock the world. Now, I have to say Cincinnati is not as a team. They are. But I think what happens when you're talking about um, some of the programs that might not be in the, you know, like the Alabamas, Ohio States, et cetera, like in college football, it's about recruiting. It's about the talent that you have, right? right? And the reason why these four, five, six, seven schools are always at the top is because they get all the recruits. But it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you do well, you get better recruits. And that's what Alabama does. <laughs> they churn out so much talent, it is ridiculous, right? So Cincinnati is a team that has talent too, but usually with teams um, of Cincinnati's size and maybe history, your talent might not have a lot of depth. So if something happens to that talent, you might not have the depth to come behind um, and hang with an Alabama, where Alabama has like four or five guys behind the starter that could start for pretty much anybody. So that's that's the hard part about Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati, you know, Alabama does have weaknesses. They run the ball inconsistently at best. Um, and, you know, defensively, they're kind of up and down. I think you can get after Bryce. If you can get after Bryce and make him move, you can't make him comfortable because those receivers are too talented. If you give him any chance, it's just going to be a track meet. So you got to make him move. So defensively, Cincinnati is going to have to get creative with the pressures that they bring and try to mix up, you know, the coverages and try to keep Bryce on his toes as far as thinking. And then offensively, they got to take care of the ball. You cannot turn the ball over if you're Cincinnati. You have to take care of the ball, and you have to create turnovers on the other side. Um, you know, it looks like the biggest line is 13-and-a-half in favor of Alabama, which I think is probably about right. I think Cincinnati can win this game, but it, you're going to have to have everything go correct for them to do so. I I, just, I, I don't see it how it will, it will be, but – Man, would that be a storyline, right? Like I said, it would be the shockers of shockers to send Saban it would. You know, early. They would rock everything, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be a story to tell your grandkids for a long, long time. That would not. Uh, Definitely. And, I mean, Cincinnati knows what, you know, I'm pretty sure, Holly, you know, you're, you coach, I'm pretty sure everybody in Cincinnati understands the, the magnitude of this matchup, right? Oh, definitely. And, I think you really got to give credit to the Cincinnati program and their coaching staff because it would have been so easy for them to get frustrated, you know, early in the year, like, you know, we want more respect, et cetera, et cetera. And probably being frustrated that they have no control over their schedule and that it's definitely a bit weaker than some of the other teams. All All they could control is the games in front of them and they handle their business. So that tells you that they're very focused. I think that comes from their coaching staff. I think it comes from their quarterback. I think their leadership on their team seems to me to be um, seasoned and a little bit older. And so, you know, they're not going to flinch. I don't think they're going to go into this game intimidated or anything like that. I think it's just going to be a matter of can they take care of the ball? Can they run the ball? Can they uh, make Bryce uncomfortable? Um and can they take advantage of another weakness I noticed in Alabama's defense is 
the the middle of the field uh, passing wise seems to be a hole that you can take advantage of. So if they're smart in how they play and they're creative, then I think they have a chance. I kind of have a feeling that maybe they'll have, you know, a trick play or two, like a fake punt or something like that. I, I just have that feeling. I think if you can beat Nick Saban, this uh, Cincinnati coaching staff will be, you know, it's it's a pedestal that they would be put on, especially just in their school alone, to upset you oh, know, a, a team like Alabama. Um, if we move over here, we talked about Jim Harbaugh for a very long time, right? Can't win this, can't do that. Yeah. Finally gets over the hump here. Uh, I believe Georgia is still favored by nine, I think. The last uh, betting line that I saw, they were favored by nine. So the Bulldogs are heavy favorites, you know, in, in this classic Big Ten SEC matchup, but that you probably haven't seen a matchup like this since, like, I think in the 60s from my notes. Um, the Wolverines are 5-1 and one in games with single-digit spread this season, but they will – can they, you know, maintain a running game against Georgia? Uh, and I, I said Georgia's defense was good, but that also has to be, you know, brought up this with this matchup because – Michigan here has nothing to lose technically. It's more about Georgia. Georgia falters here. Man, the last two games of the season, you literally crumble against pretty decent, better competition. It says a lot about, you know, how you were running the table close to the end there and you can't, you can't finish. Definitely. I think that this is going to be kind of an old school matchup because, you know, Harbaugh is definitely – a guy that likes to run multiple tight ends, he likes to run the ball. Um, you know, they one of the problems he was having um, for the last few years is that they had decent linemen, they had um, a, you know decent defense, but they weren't quite finding the right quarterback to run the system. Um, and I think uh, McNair has kind of grown into that role. He's not a world beater statistically. He's not necessarily, you know, he's not like Bryce Young or anything like that, but he's definitely got uh, a lot of confidence, um, especially this year. And I think it's going to come down to basically the quarterback play um, between, you know, if Georgia is playing Setson and you have McNair on the other side, which quarterback is the most consistent, which quarterback uh, does not make uh, a big mistake, um, I think this is going to be a really fun matchup, honestly, because I think you're going to see Harbaugh run a thousand tight ends and try to get creative to run that ball against that front. And you're probably going to see a lot of play action. You're, you're going to see some creativity. And then on the other side, you know, I think the Michigan defense is actually, you know, pretty strong as well. I think, I think this is going to be a fun matchup. I agree. I, I really think that this is an intriguing uh, – this is the one I'm going to be watching because I really think the other one uh, I'm going to pay attention to, but I'm not expecting, obviously, Alabama to falter, and it would have to be Cincinnati's, like I said, big biggest win in probably school history, Nick Saban, one of the all-time great coaches. Yeah. So um, that would be like a, a miracle, basically, for Christmas for the Cincinnati program. Yeah, you, but, uh, you basically have um... – you know, a Cinderella-type storyline uh, in one game and then, like, an old-school mm-hmm. probably dogfight in the other game. And, I mean, it, like I said, Michigan's coming in here with no real expectation. Nobody even probably expected them to be here, right? So it's Jim Harbaugh's um, like, no. oh, okay, 
let's play our game pretty much and see what we get there. But Georgia, like I said, a lot of a lot of thing on the line for Georgia, right? Because they're expected to be in the final. And guess who they want? They, you know, the bookies they want Alabama Georgia one one more time. That's literally the line. They, everybody yeah. is, is the expectation oh, yeah. is that those two will clash once again. Yeah, I, I definitely think that. You know, Michigan kind of came out of nowhere, kind of late, you know, at least the last few weeks of the season. And I think the reason is, is that Ohio State's been the big uh, Tim darling for, you know, who knows how long. And, mm-hmm. so, and the uh, Ohio State offense is so explosive that it's easy to to want to just follow that team. But, you know, like I said before, going into the uh, Michigan-Ohio State game, that was the – uh, monkey on their back, so to speak, is that mm-hmm. even when Michigan's had a decent team, whenever they faced Ohio State, it, it seemed like it was kind of psychological. Like they would make dumb mistakes, they would turn the ball over, mm-hmm. and then Ohio State would just mop the floor with them, and then another year where they don't beat Ohio State, and then all the Michigan people are really upset, you know. And so, you know, you have to give credit to Harbaugh for sticking it out and then finally kind of figuring out the right pieces you know, the other thing about Michigan that's really interesting is their offensive line is freaking huge, okay? So I think it might have uh, taken Harbaugh for a sure. few years. A lot of beats there. That's like the uh, Texas yeah, Elite they're really tall. front line. <laughs> that's a huge line. And so I think it kind of took them a few years to kind of – and that's the thing that, you know, I think college coaches have more control over than NFL coaches unless you're, you're Belichick and you can also, you know, pick your pieces – I think in college, if you have enough time, you can recruit the right people and the right body types for the thing that the, the scheme that you want to run. And it's evident to me, you know, I was watching uh, the Michigan Ohio State game and then the Michigan Iowa game, that I think he finally has the right people in place for his scheme. And you can tell that they just have a lot of confidence right now. And so I think. I don't think this game is going to be as easy for Georgia as people think. I, I really don't. I think that Georgia, their D line is so strong, but I think that their offense is not consistent at times, <laughs> and that's a problem. So, and you know, the other thing that I was going to point out is Georgia's defense. Um, you know, is ranked like first in the country in a lot of stats. Michigan's defense is ranked like four, fourth or fifth. So they're right there. They're that good on defense as well. So um, I'm excited, though, for that one. Yeah, so am I. I really think that that's going to be the key. Um, And I'm interested to see how Cincinnati really uh, comes out, you know, and and does their thing. And I'm also kind of interested to see how if, you know, Michigan's going to really, you know, take care of Georgia. And Georgia faltering two games with the expectation of going to the final here, that's I think that's the the, the storyline basically. Can Cincinnati take down the dog, and can George, will Georgia falter? You know what I mean? That's literally the storyline. It's not even about Michigan. It's really about whether Georgia's going to be even show up at the finals. So it's uh, kind of interesting in that sense. Um, if you guys haven't gone over to Monkey Knife Fight, um, you should go over there, especially right now. NFL every week, Thursday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, you also get NBA nightly on a nightly basis, so check it out more or less, the simple process, more or less. So you just basically have to pick one of the props, figure out if the player is going to play, it's going to come in more or less, 
in terms of their average, whether it be in yards or passes, anything like that. So check it out. You can play in three different parts. It's pretty easy to do. So it's extremely easy. Pick the players that you like to perform in a given game. Lay out cleanly. You get to decide if a player will compile more or less in the following categories. As examples, fantasy points, uh, rushing yards, receiving yards, passing yards, receptions. Uh, so when you choose a player to have either more or less in a given category, all you have to do is not worry about anything else but the player's performance. Are they going to meet that or not? You don't need to worry about game totals, playing against other Sharks like you do on daily fantasy sites, shifting game lines, or head-to-head matchups with another player. Pick your contest with the players you like. Lock it in more or less for each proposed stat line. Then you feel confident and let the good times roll. So we're going to give you a $5 free play up to a $100 match. So use the code NJF to get started at Monkey Knife Fight. All right, uh, Holly, let's go into the next game. I think the next game's somewhat interesting. We're looking at, um, I believe, the Sugar Bowl, if I'm correct. Oh, I'm sorry, no, the yeah, the Sugar Bowl, right? Sugar Bowl. Uh, we're looking at uh, Baylor, uh, one-and-a-half favorite against uh, number eight, Ole Miss. Uh, every, the betting lines that I've been looking at in Vegas, they're predicting Ole Miss to, uh, to upset here. So uh, we're looking at Matt, uh, Matt Carroll here and see how he's going to do. And then Lane Kiffin leads the Rebels to an impressive 11-game, uh, 11-win season. So uh, good storyline here. Expectation is that Ole Miss will come through here against Baylor. Yeah, that this should be, I think, kind of a uh, shootout type of game, I'm just feeling. I, I feel like this should um, – you know, like how Georgia and Michigan's more old school. Um, I think this is going to be more high-powered. I think you can't underestimate Baylor. I think they have, um, speaking of a team that came out of nowhere, Baylor finished really strong this year. And I think uh, Matt Corral uh, has been really well, as uh, well. You know, he had a crazy amount of stats and was in the Heisman uh, race probably until the last couple of weeks here. I do think I'm going to go with Baylor in this one. I just feel more comfortable that they're a more complete team than all this. Um, but I definitely think that this should be a close game, kind of a wild game. Yeah, they're anticipating a 34-27 upset. So it's pretty close. Right. You know, one and a half spread. Right. Um, that's pretty close. I mean, that's as close as you're going to get right there. And hopefully, you know, that, you know, if you're Baylor, you don't want to be you know, you don't want to be at the end, at the end uh, down and, and not winning yet. So somebody's got doubt about the Bears themselves, and they're putting um, Ole Miss on top here. Um, we have the um, the other game. It's the Rose Bowl, number six, Ohio State, uh, um, minus six and a half against Utah. Are, are we giving Utah – do we not give Utah any credit at all at this point? I mean, but at the same time, if you look at their uh, – uh, their passing yards per game, they, they've allowed almost 195.3. So this coming into this game, it looks like the Utes are not even are gonna, not, not even going to be a match for Ohio State. I actually think that's incorrect. I think that Utah and Ohio State, this matchup is a two teams where their individual strengths um, are going to attack the other team's weaknesses. So it's kind of a style difference. Ohio State likes to put up a lot of points through the air. I think Ohio State and Alabama have the two best receiving cores in the country. There's just NFL talent all over the place. Um, and, you know, they're very explosive. 
But the problem with Ohio State is that they make mistakes. They are, I think, young in a lot of places. They will turn the ball over. They'll make mistakes in the red zone. Um, and their defense, even though it improved from earlier in the year, it still has some problems. Uh, on the other side, Utah is a really old school team, you know, kind of built like Michigan, uh, a lot of tight ends, a lot of running, and that gave Ohio State problems when they played Michigan with all those tight ends and, and that kind of uh, style. And so the, the good thing about Utah is that they don't make a lot of mistakes, uh, and they are very – opportunistic when the other team does make a mistake, they take advantage. So I think this is a clash of styles, and I think Utah can win this game. But they're going to have to, in order to win this game, they're going to have to uh, do what they did at Oregon. You're going to have to come out and basically dictate the pace of the game from the start. If Utah can do that in the first, the first quarter is going to be really important. If Utah can come out and kind of dictate the pace, put points on the board, be very physical, I think they have a chance. If they get uh, behind early, they don't have the fire, firepower to come from behind by like a 14, 20, you know, 14 or 20-point deficit, that sort of thing. So you cannot allow Ohio State to get explosive in that first quarter. Mm-hmm. You have to go and dictate. And I think they can do that because obviously they uh, – uh, you know, beat the hell out of my team two out of the last three weeks. So I do believe in Utah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think that that's, that's going to be a key right there. Um, the, I mean, will Utah stay competitive is the question. I mean, even the, even to cover the spread, I mean, uh, everybody's picking Ohio State, obviously, to win that and cover, uh, cover the spread. Um, Fiesta Bowl, number five, Notre Dame. Uh, two and a half in that favorite against number nine, Oklahoma State. So uh, what do we say of this is going to be, I think, uh, Coach Marcus Freeman's first game, which is, you know, his, in, in debut in a New Year's Bowl game. Defensive battle, I think uh, at this point, uh, Jack Cohn. I mean, what what do you see here against against uh, Oklahoma State? I think you got to question if Oklahoma State is going to be motivated for this game. Because they had everything to play for, um, you know, this last weekend. If, if they win uh, against Baylor, uh, they're in the playoff right now, you know. And I, I think they probably would have jumped Cincinnati and got that spot. Um, but I think that the fact that they lost to Baylor in the championship game, and not, uh, not only that they lost, but how they lost, not able to get it in the end zone on basically a fourth and goal situation, has to be emotionally draining. And I know, you know, we we talk about this a lot, but with college football, you have to remember you're talking about people that are 18 and like 23 years old. They're they're young and uh, emotional and kind of reactive a lot, right? So, you know, are they going to be able to be focused for this game? Notre Dame also has problems. Notre Dame, you know, obviously uh, Brian Kelly left in the middle of the night. Um, you know, mm-hmm. but I feel yeah. like they really uh, believe in their uh, new coach, the defensive coordinator, um, I think seems to be a really good fit for him to be promoted. I think Notre Dame is going to be motivated. I think they're going to be motivated because they had to sit on the sideline because they had no, you know, championship game to play for, not in the conference, which is a problem. If you're a Notre Dame fan, come on, it's it's 
you know, almost 2022. It's time to join a conference. Like, come on. But anyways, I think that they have to have felt, you know, really frustrated sitting there watching everybody else play. Therefore, they can't have another opportunity to show the committee they can play. They have to watch. They don't get in. Then their coach, you know, and the coach leaves and all this stuff. I think they're going to be anxious to prove that um, Brian Kelly leaving was a mistake. And I think Oklahoma is going to be upset about how they they lost last week. I think Notre Dame is going to win this game. I agree. I think they they have a shot. Um, I don't. I, I agree with that. I really do. I, I don't even have anything counterpoint on that. I think that they're going to they they'll take the two and a half and they'll, they'll win and take care of that. Um, Peach Bowl, uh, Michigan State number ten taking on Pitt. Uh, Pitt being favored here. So Pat Narducci was a longtime Michigan State defensive coordinator before taking the job. Uh, Kenny Pickett, Kenny Walker the third were two of the pleasant surprises of the twenty one season. Both will make a big place in the high-scoring matchup. Uh, the Panthers scored one for the ACC in Thriller. That sets the tone forward to the the matchup here. So uh, Michigan State, I mean, uh, got some work to do here. Pitt really, I think, will will be the difference if they can if they can take care of business here. Then they'll look really good, and maybe their ranking will be higher uh, as we get to 2022. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: you gotta. Um... This is a fun matchup just because you have two high-level players that are, you know, Heisman-level, uh, you know, players. You, got, you know, Pickett is somebody that I think really kind of came out of nowhere, in my opinion, for all the national mm-hmm. scene. And But this kid ended up with, uh, you know, 42 touchdowns. So he had 4,319 yards passing and 42 touchdowns. That, that's, that's, that's like a video game right there, right? Then on the other side, you have Kenneth Walker III, who I think is probably the best back in the country, um, you know, overall. And so that should be a really fun matchup. Um, You know, I think this is probably going to go down to the wire. It's probably going to be a close game, I think. But I think it's going to be an explosive game between the passing game of Pitt and Michigan State's ability to run the ball. I think it should be fun. Yeah, everybody's got uh, Pitt – 30 to 27, uh, probably not going to cover the spread, but they're four-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, the other game we got is uh, State versus LSU. I don't know how interesting that would be. Uh, new LSU coach Brian Kelly likely will be watching from the luxury box as the Tigers try to finish a winning season. Uh, that means keeping pace with Kansas State running back Deuce Vaughn, who had 1,258 yards, 15 touchdowns. Uh, LSU is a 2 and a Two and a half, uh, you know, single-digit spread. So this is a, a kind of a tough call, but I think they're pretty evenly matched. So uh, you know, the betting lines got them predicted for a cover the spread, but it's twenty-six twenty-one, um, and they're giving the edge to LSU here. Yeah, I think this is kind of um, like an intermediate level, you know, situation with the bowl, and I think it's two teams that. Had a lot of ups and a lot of downs this year. I think it will be interesting, you know, for Brian Kelly because he has to, you know, evaluate and say, hey, what do I really have in this team? Um, where can we improve? Uh, what, are, what are the strengths? You know, what, what changes do I need to make uh, for next year? I think Kansas City is a nice little story. You know, I think um, they've actually done fairly well 
of this year considering, um, you know, their depth of talent. I think they've done a lot with uh, with less, you know, so you got to uh, tip your uh, cap off to the coaching staff. And I think they've had their moments this year. So I think Kansas State is probably pretty excited to be playing in this game against a, a big brand like LSU. Um, so I do think this, this one could go either way. Um, I think actually, you know, when you get to the bowl games where teams are like LSU six and six and Kansas State seven and five, those tend to be more hard to predict in my opinion because it really depends on you know which team kind of shows up, which teams more prepare, which teams taking more seriously, um, you know that sort of thing. But I still think it should be pretty fun to watch just from uh, an entertainment aspect. Yeah, I agree. So let's break down the uh, the Heisman here, which I don't think there was any surprise. We talked about it, I believe, last podcast and the podcast before. So we're looking at Young, Hutchinson among the four Heisman fi- uh, finalists here. Uh, you had, uh, what's his name, uh, the quarterback, Bryce, uh, mentioning, I believe, let me get my notes here, uh, he was mentioning uh, Will Anderson, Jr., that should right. be among the four finalists for the award. And he said it should be well-deserved for that uh, with the numbers and everything. But uh, Michigan defensive lineman Aiden Hutchinson was among the four Heisman finalists named on Monday, 55 tackles, 15 for a loss, 3.5 sacks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is what I'm saying. It's like kind of like a popularity contest in a sense. I think this should be broken down, as we talked about before, where they should – have point totals where, you know, the, the offensive line in terms of like a quarterback or running back gets X amount of points for X amount of yards or X amount of this. And, and the defensive players get the same amount. And then at the end, you kind of tally those points and figure out who's going to edge who at this point. But uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a one-sided offensive type of an award, which I, I just don't like. Yeah, it's not only an offensive award, it's a quarterback award. And then it's a quarterback award for the quarterback of, you know, one of four or five schools each year. (laughs) So I think that's my problem. I mean, there's multiple flaws with it. But it seems to be if you're a quarterback for Alabama, Ohio State, maybe a Clemson, an Oklahoma, you know, like those four or five schools, you're automatically in the conversation. And that's kind of silly. I feel like it should be completely open uh, from the start of the season. And then, you know, as we get through the season, you start seeing um, who's starting to rise above other people. Then you start to pay attention. But I think kind of the uh, impatience, you know, that we have now um, as a, uh, as fans and in the media, we we're, we are always trying to make our predictions before the season. So what happens, is, you know, I understand the thought of, like, okay, well, who's the quarterback? If, you, if you're, like, in August and you're, like, who are my Heisman picks? You're, like, oh, okay, who's the quarterback of Alabama? Who's the quarterback of Ohio State? So, you know, those are the places that you start, right? Because you're assuming that those teams are going to be good. You're assuming that since they have a lot of talent around them, they're going to perform well, and therefore you're assuming they're going to be there at the end. So um, I do think there needs to be more variation, I think, uh, it's good that they got uh, Pickett in there, you know. Um, and Aiden Hutchinson, I think, is a really good player. I think he is disruptive. But I actually um, agree that I think Will Anderson is better. I just think he's a little bit more uh, on the quiet side, maybe. And I think there was a push for Aiden 
I don't know, like the last two or three weeks, it seemed like he came out of nowhere on the national scene. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, honestly, uh, Will and also Kenneth Walker, I think, got snubbed a little bit too. Yeah, and I think the addition of, you know, Young and Hutchison, the, the other ones that people were, are throwing out there or, you know, could have been a, kind of like a, a push for would have been Kenny Pickett. And then even Terry Lister said, oh, C.J. Stroud, probably not in that conversation. But, you know, I, I'm pretty sure Kenny Pickett would be another one that you could have thrown in there. Oh, he is in there. He's uh, he's one of the four. No, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like you, you have that lock right here for him. What I'm saying is oh, you, okay. you have certain, okay, okay. certain players that, you know, they're just they're – just, in other words, there's like no – variance from like you said you know you're going to put the the top guy which is with the top school right and that's the guy right, we go right, with right. no other defensive player is my point it's like you have another quarterback and another quarterback right. you know what i mean it's like it's like right. a, a group of quarterbacks and then you're like okay to so make everybody happy we'll just put in the defensive guy who's probably not going to win the award anyways but just make it seem like we threw a yeah. defensive guy in there i mean the, the last guy that yeah, won defensively definitely... i think was um i think charles woodson, was it woodson? which is like way yeah, back in the I day yeah, I honestly feel like they do just kind of throw in, like, okay, let's give, you know, a decent proportion, some of the or whatever. But I, I do agree. I do think that, like, um, if you are the best, you know, three or four quarterbacks in the country, I think it's way easier for you to get in that high conversation. If you are one of the best three or four defensive linemen, it is way harder. You have to be so dominant that you have to basically be, you know, uh, an Aaron Donald level dominance <laughs> in order to even get in the same conversation with somebody who's not even the top quarterback. You see what I'm saying? So that that's the problem is that it's so skewed towards the quarterback that you're kind of missing other people. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like the system should be changed to where there's a point system of some sort, right? A point system of some sort where you tally the points based on touchdowns. You get so much points for extra yardages, which would equal no different, like, okay, a touchdown equals more like, okay, 12 or more sacks, right, in a season, as an example for a defensive player, things like that. And it would make it it more interesting, more fair. Then you'd have to get it tallied at the end of the the year. Uh, But it's it's a lot of work. So they'd rather just <laughs> they'd rather just do what we do when we do fantasy football draft, right? Just go to that, go to the house to your neighbor's house and just put up the board. And there's no real stats. Just who you want. It's your turn. Very much. What it right. looks like. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's sad. It's pretty sad. Uh, if you're a defensive guy, you're probably never going to get that award. I mean, it's like it's just not even fun. Um, what do we say? This? There's a lot of things. Uh, you, you talked about the portal last week uh, for a little bit, but we are getting to that stage to where you made the, the biggest point where this is now sort of a college football free agency, and we're starting to see it, not just on the coaching side, as we talked about last week with the carousel, but now we're really starting to see where, you know, they are, there is players that are willingly, you know, at this point looking for, to transfer out and go to a better school or adjust themselves to a better opportunity to get more NFL eyes on them. Oh, yeah. It is chaos. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that, and, you know, I'll step back and I'll I'll 
uh, reiterate, you know, what I've, what I've said before is that I really think the last 20, maybe even 30 years of college football, it's been a farce that they have tried to claim that they're an amateur sport because it's really not. It's always, from that point on, it's really been kind of a hybrid somewhere in between amateur status and professional status. So I am glad that they are making changes because it's long overdue. The problem is, you know, whenever you make changes like this, sometimes there's kind of a delay between the initial change and then changes later of like, okay, now we need to put parameters on this a little bit. So I don't think we're quite, I think it's kind of the wild west right now. <laughs> on the player side, on the coaches, coaching side, on the transfer side, it's, it's really chaotic, right? So I think eventually you'll probably see some more parameters around these things to kind of quiet it down a little bit. <laughs> but I think for right now, you're right. It's, it's um, you know, it used to be if you were, you know, let's say a quarterback and you had somebody really good. Let's say, let's say um, you, you know, go to Alabama and Bryce Young is in front of you and he is a freshman and he'll probably go to the NFL in a couple of years, but he still has a couple of years until then. And therefore you're not going to probably see the field. And so then you have to make a decision of like, where do I go to find the field? But it used to be that you had to wait out a year and so it really discouraged people from doing that unless they, like, were really motivated to do so because they lost a year. And so now that that requirement is gone, now you have people that are like, okay, well, if I know Bryce Young's in front of me, well, let me just go over here to this school because I can start right away there. And you know what I mean? So I think it's going to continue to be chaotic, um, and it's kind of a whirlwind <laughs> situation. And then, you know, it kind of compounds on itself because um, obviously as an Orient fan, the last, like, 48 hours have been very trying. And then, you know, you had Miami that took our coach, even though they already had a coach, and then they treated their first coach really terribly in the process or ran him through the mud, basically. And Mm -hmm. it was basically the quote in my mind of Miami's married and – they're sitting, you know, it's like late at night, they're sitting in their bed reading the newspaper or something, and they're like, let me go find a new wife while my current wife is sitting here. Let me go find, like, oh, look, this person looks really good. Okay, how much money do you want to go on a date with me? Okay. (laughs) And you're saying they're sitting right next to their current wife, and their current wife is like, what the heck? I'm right here. Hello, we're married. You know, that's kind of, and then I'm like, so, you know, I felt terrible for uh, Manny Diaz because the way they treated mm-hmm. him was just, it's just not fair. Like, I've never seen that nope. happen. I've never seen a program go after a new coach when they haven't done anything with their current coach. That's just really poor taste. And then they had, um, you know, it's really chaotic. But anyways, so when you when you factor in uh, Chris Ball leaving, Brian Kelly leaving, Lincoln Riley leaving, it's not just the coaches leaving. It's what's happening now is when these coaches leave, a whole lot of recruits that were going to schools thinking that they'd be coached by Lincoln Riley are now leaving, you know, maybe Oklahoma to either follow Lincoln Riley or maybe to say I'm just going to open it back up, period. So it's so chaotic. 
And I think one of the big problems, you know. How do you even structure that? You know what I mean? It's like it's it's hard enough coaching six to seven-year-olds, to your point, earlier this year and trying to gather all these, you know, to do the right thing. And then you you basically, you know, just, just unravel a structure format that's been in place for generations, basically. It's like a football staple. Yeah. Right? You don't do yeah. that to your team. You don't just bail on your team, commitment, the dedication. And, and now it's like none of that. It's kind of like, okay, well, sorry, guys. I just, you know, got more money. <laughs> got to think about my retirement. Got to just go over here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like literally that kind of attitude, right? It's like, I know you came oh, here yeah. for and me, what but happens is- I'm not here any longer for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And what happens is, again, you have to remember that the the kids that are already in, you know, the program that you're leaving and the kids that are committed to coming to that program, they're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, you know. Oh, yeah. They're kids. Oh, yeah. And so what happens is, you know, so I was, you know, obviously watching all the chaos, you know, last 48 hours for my team. And it's amazing because it's like, I have this feeling as a fan of like, oh no, like I feel like I gotta go check on these players and be like, are you okay? <laughs> because I don't want them to leave. You know what I mean? And it's almost like damage control. And then if you're a fan of a team that gets kind of, you know, left at the altar, so to speak, like you know, Oregon, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma, you're sitting there panicked because you're like, oh my gosh, not only are we losing our coach, we're probably losing assistant coaches, and we're probably losing people that are already in the program and probably people that are were going to um, come into the program. And you, it, so one, one guy leaving creates such a ripple that you, you kind of get, you know, um, you kind of almost risk, you know, going completely backwards for a couple of years. You have to find, but then it puts pressure on your program to find the replacement coach as quickly as possible because the, um, early commitment deadline, I think it's uh, December 15th or something like that. So, you uh, you know, for Oregon, we got to get a coach it's, right away to calm down the people like we currently have. a basketball coach leaving a major school. Well, I mean, and, and to, to some degree, certain schools rely on the football as their focus, at, you know, right, gathering for everything in terms of right. funds and in terms of attention, right? They, they rely on right. that, where other schools rely on basketball as an example. But, you know, to think that football would be this tossed up, I mean, basketball, you get that a lot in basketball, right? It's not a big deal. Right. One coach leaves one school, moves on to another school. It's, it's you know, it's a detriment thing. But it's not such a, a big deal because you're not running, like, 52 guys, right? Depth chart. Yeah. Off, like you said, coaches and things like that. And in football, it's a big deal. It's literally a yeah. house. <laughs> it's not just a camp. Yeah. It's a house. And that tosses up a lot of things, yeah. financials, right? It tosses up commitment from donors, as an example, for certain schools. If you're, you know, if you're not right. going to be a, a, a relevant program, people are not going to have that interest to put in money into you any longer, as an example. Right. So there's a lot of circumstances. Uh, you know, example – I was reading, I mean, I'm a local here in, in, in California, but you're reading Fresno State looking to replace a coach. That never, you can never find that in a headline. And now you're finding it in a headline. Right. Because the coach left to Washington yeah. for some reason. 
and they're bringing yeah. back their old coach that apparently left with some sort of health issues. So, yeah, like to your point, this right. is starting to be a crapshoot is the word. It is it's, – it's such – oh, my gosh. And then, okay, so here's an example of how chaotic it is. So the Oregon and Miami thing was weird. And then, you know, um, obviously after the fact, we've uh, learned a lot. And um, I'm pretty sure I said on here before, maybe I just said it uh, to you guys privately, but I really feel like there was something internally wrong in the locker room with Oregon the first time that we mm-hmm. lost to Utah for various reasons, uh, you know, because we had been down before early, earlier in the year and responded fine and came back and won those games. But for some reason, you, you could just see the body language was terrible. They were pointing fingers and getting mad at each other. There was no leadership. And I was like, something's wrong. And I think it's because I played a long time, and not only football, but other sports, and I've coached, and I've been around sports my whole life, that if you've been in a locker room before, you recognize the signs of a broken locker room. And what happens is in football, there's a lot of adversity, right? And the good teams know how to respond to that. They have good leadership Mm -hmm. and they're coaching. And then also the leaders on their team that are like, Hey guys, it's fine. We're going to get this back. It's fine. You know, whatever. Or the people that um, will give you a kick in the pants if you need it, that sort of thing. But the teams that have a poor culture in their locker room, and I see it all the time in football, the minute adversity happens, they melt down. They start pointing fingers. They get mad at each other. They're not focused on playing the game. You know what I mean? So I start to see the signs. I'm like, what the heck is happening? Something is wrong, right? So going into the game against Utah the second time, I was like, okay, surely they've made some adjustments to, you know, their scheme for this game because what we did in the first game did not work. And so, you know, um, I'm on a plane on my way to Utah to go to a camp. So it's really funny because they're playing Utah in Vegas and I'm going to Utah. And I'm sitting on the plane. I'm sitting next to an elder gentleman. And I'm trying not to see out the screen <laughs> to disturb him because I'm so upset that not only are we playing terribly, but we, we didn't change anything with the scheme. It was the same, mm-hmm. you know, everything. And I was like, it, it literally felt like the same game. It was the same pattern and how they scored and we had turnovers and we missed kicks. It felt like the same game. It was weird. And then at halftime, I would have thought, okay, the game's over. Let's play our freshman quarterback, get him some reps for next year. Like, let's just have something positive. And they refused to put him in, and I didn't get it. Now I understand. And the reason is because the offensive coordinator was taking a head coaching job the very next day, and Chris mm-hmm. Ball was offered by Oregon apparently that week to find an extension. He didn't take it. And, of course, that made Oregon mad, so they withdrew the the extension offer. And so I think he knew he was going to go to Miami. So you have two coaches, the two coaches who really need to focus, that obviously aren't paying attention or focused or they're not there. And I could, you could tell that probably the players felt that too. And so that's not okay. So then you go into, like, this 48-hour of social media, just hell. Like all these people, these local reporters in Miami claiming oh, it's yeah. a done deal. My my secret source on the street corner told me that it's for X amount of dollars and they're going to sign today. It's like all of that but no actual confirmation. And so when you're a fan and probably a player, you're sitting there being held emotionally hostage 
and you can't you can't figure out what's true, what's not true. You know, is is this a where there's smoke, there's fire? Is this real? Is that real? And it's like it's just not fair. You know, it really isn't. And so get I think for Twitter, me, I was like, Holly, get off the Twitter you, now. <laughs> I just think I, I just wanted to be like, look, if you want to move on, fine. Right. But tell people, like, you know, when we're talking about Brian Kelly and uh, mm-hmm. and Lincoln Riley and, like, all that, I just feel like you, you, you don't owe the fans, but you owe the team, you know, communication. And yeah. so I think the fact that they refused to change the quarterback halfway through the season when they should have caused a division – and maybe there was even more division because they thought he was leaving, you know. And I'm like, so those kind of distractions can ruin a team. And I'm not saying that Oregon would have won the championship, but I think we would have done better if we didn't have all those distractions. So that's the danger of not having parameters on some of these things, is you could be a high-level team and these distractions can derail you from the inside out. I think loyalty is the word, right? Is there going to be any loyalty yeah. in college football? Because it's really what we're both down on both sides, on the player side, through the oh, yeah. portal situation, and on the coaching side. Because now it's like right. this is what it boils down to. It's like, like you said, it's, it's like an open free agency mentality now. It's like there's no commitment. Right. I'm just going to go here. I'm going to go there. Um, that's a really different landscape. And I, I think we're just talking Division One, but we, we have no idea what Division Two, Division Three looks like. Right, because we never focus on that. Right, there's like two other divisions in this college realm, so it's it's going to affect almost everything that normally we're accustomed to. Yeah. Right, we're normally accustomed to a, a full season with no issues at the coaching level. Everybody goes through, and then oh, by the way, we're, you're fired at the end for not performing to or making a bowl game. Now it's like these coaches are like, hey, f you, I'm out. You know, I don't need to be standing here right. for the next commitment three games to make a fool of myself. I'm I'm walking out with the money back somewhere else. It's like WWE, Holly. This is not cool. It's like Vince McMahon took over this whole NCAA. It's a wild, wild west. And I think, again, I think, you know, you should have the freedom to to move about. I just think that there needs to be parameters to do it the right way. I think what's happening now is there's too much chaos and, you know, I think if you're a fan of a, of a team, you got to know that your team from year to year to year is not going to be the same team, you, and not at all. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have people transfer out. You're going to have people transfer in. You're going to have coaches come and go, you know, probably sometimes weekly, and you just don't know what to expect. So the continuity is going to be really difficult. And that's why, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, programs like Alabama, how impressive it's been that Nick Saban, he's lost, I don't even know how many assistant coaches to uh, different roles that they've left. And, you know, Alabama's kind of been a stepping stone for them. And he's been able to still produce more assistants from somewhere, and they continue to win. And so, we, you know, that's kind of crazy in this landscape. So I think it's going to be interesting. I'm not sure how long. Saban will continue to coach. You know, he's starting to get a little bit older. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see um, if Alabama can continue to be good year in and year out and for how long in this newer landscape. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting. I'm going to be more interested in terms of what Cincinnati does 
coming up this uh, you know this uh, in, in this bowl game. I, I really think that that's that's going to be an interesting matchup. Cinderella story right there. Can they upset the big dog? We get, we look at Georgia. Are they going to collapse again? Right, two two losses at the end of the season. I mean, what 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 a storyline to go into. And then you have the other bowl games with certain ramifications, of course, just for pride in terms of like against a con- uh, different conferences and things like that. But I mean, it's going to be an interesting uh, ride between uh, the middle of December all the way to January 10th. So we're going to be talking about it week to week. We're going to be talking about it until we get to the national championship. Uh, and uh, Vegas actually has. Uh, Georgia, Alabama, which I, I guess, Holly, it's, it's fair, right? I mean, it's literally, uh, given the matchups, you, you would think, okay, yeah, Georgia should roll over Michigan and, and Alabama should easily take care of, of Cincinnati. So, I think I'm actually going to go Alabama and Michigan. Yeah, that's what I was having, too. I think that's correct. I, that's what I uh, wrote down myself. Cause I, I really think that that's going to be the game. And then it wouldn't be a storyline, right? If Harbaugh yeah, can get definitely. the job done, wow, what a storyline for this. I mean, we were talking, what, Michigan stumbling again this year, and then here in the last, what, six weeks or so, they they turn it around, and what, a, what that would be a huge oh, yeah. thing for him. Uh, it would, like, if, if, if Harbaugh is able to get a national championship somehow out of this season, I think, you know, he's going to have a job at Michigan forever. <laughs> he's not going to have to worry which is really funny because just like even going into to this year, he was kind of not quite on the hot seat, but he was starting to get hotter. And so, you know, I think right now in Michigan, everything's rolling. Like everything is going their way um, and they're kind of peaking at the right time. And so as long as they stay true to who they are, I think the, I think that they're going to um, beat Georgia. I think Georgia, honestly – I still think they're really good, but I think the problem with Georgia, I don't think Stetson is consistent enough. <laughs> and, you know, I, I agree think with you. that I think they honestly should have gone back to Jaden Daniels. Like, I think their offense is a little bit more dynamic. I get that Stetson's a great story. He's a good, good kid and a good leader, but I think he's a little limited in, in some aspects. And if you're if you're Georgia and you're able to run the ball well and your defense is great, then it doesn't really matter who's playing quarterback. But if you're in a situation where you're playing in Alabama or playing in Michigan that can put up points, can you keep up? That's that's the problem with Georgia. I agree with you. I do agree with you. I think you you valid point. Um, I, you know, I, I interesting to see if Cincinnati will pull it off. That's I think that's where I'm at right now. Like, can they pull it off? If they can pull it off, what a shocker! And then the other side, like we like we just mentioned here with Georgia, Michigan, also not a, you know not a guarantee. There's no no guarantees here. So I think that's what makes these two games very interesting to watch. So Holly, thanks again for all the insights. Looking forward to next week as we break down as we get closer to another couple bowl games and break down a couple of the bowl games until we get to January 10th, of course, and then we break down the big ball game as well. So it's going to be, a, a, you know, what, two weeks of Christmas in that sense. So we'll, we'll catch you here next week, uh, break it down a lot of college football. Uh, all our fans appreciate your insights. Obviously, great feedback. Uh, that's what we're doing, college football, the first hour, guys, because this is what you wanted. We're giving it to you every week. 
for the first hour, and who better to give it to you than the Hall of Famer? So thanks, Holly. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Have a good night, okay? Thanks. All right. So that was uh, Holly Custis breaking down college football matchups, uh, the rankings, uh, the bowl games. So check it out at the Hub. we got everything going on there at the Hub, facebook.com, for size square beauties. Get the get the lowdown right there on everything that's happening in college football as well, the key matchups for the bowl games, uh, plus carousel news as well. So break it down right there at the Hub, facebook.com, for size square beauties. Just a reminder one more time, uh, I'm just like you. I love football and being in the action, whether it's for a $5 game or a $100 game, that's what I do. So that's my passion, daily fantasy sports. So more or less, makes it extremely easy at Monkey Knife Fight. Pick the players that you like to perform in a given game. Lay out cleanly. You decide if a player will com- compile more or less in certain categories like fantasy points, rushing yards, receiving yards, passing yards, receptions, just like in football. When you choose a player to have either the more or less in a given category, all you have to do is worry about that player's performance. You don't need to worry about game totals, playing against other fantasy sharks like you do on the other betting sites, shipping, uh, shifting game lines or head-to-head matchups with another player. Pick your contest with the players you like. Lock in with the more or less feature for each proposed stat line that you feel confident in and let the good times roll. And we're going to give you $5 to try it out. Go to monkeyknifefight.com, get the $5 free play, up to a $100 match if you want to add more money. More or less, straightforward. Pick the players that you feel have the best chance to outperform or underperform their proposed stat line in their game. They're playing or slate. And that's it. That's all you got to do. Sounds fun and easy. So go right now. Enter the code NJF, monkeyknife5.com. Use the code NJF. Uh, valid in the U.S. and Canada. Terms do apply. Let's bring in the backseat coach, Mark Simone, in the house. How's it going, Mark? It's going well. Uh, you know, I, I hope uh, if you if you played Mac that you took the under so you could win some money off Monday Night Football last night. That was a wild oh, yeah. game. No, no, we, were, we were good last night. We were good last night. Yeah, it was that's... crazy. It was crazy. Two for three for, what, 19 yards? Yeah. Wow. Like, something like, like 1982 was the last time that only, yeah. you know, they only threw three passes in a game. Pretty crazy. Man, if you're a Boston, you know, if you're a New England fan right now, Mark, my God, are you like Tom Brady? Who? Literally, right now. And if this kid takes you to the to the to the final, wouldn't it be nice? I, I had a, somebody send me a, a message on Twitter prediction: New England, Tampa Bay, Mac Jones, Tom Brady final. Would that be nice? Right? Blues Arians against <laughs> Bill Belichick. Wow, the the phenom replacement for the legend. That would be a I mean, classic. Uh, try to pencil that Super Bowl in right now. That would be interesting. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, certainly that would be very interesting. I certainly think a lot of people would have no interest in seeing that game at all. But anybody, I think, who has ever chimed in on, like, who was the key to the Patriots' success, over all those years, was it Belichick or was it Brady? Would love to see that game. Um, I think it's a pretty long shot, but um, you're right. You know, I'm, I live here in Boston, right in the heart of um, Patriots uh, Nation, and um, you know, people are uh, are very happy with 
um, how the season's been going. Um, and with Mac Jones, uh, there are still some detractors. You know, this is his first season playing, so um, um, it's hard to know, like, how he'll pull through in the clutch. But, you know, uh, I got to say so far it's still good. As, as someone who, you know, didn't really have any strong feelings about Mac Jones um, when, you know, he was signed, uh, when he was named the starter. You know, I've just been watching with my own eyes. And, and what I see, you know, looks pretty good. He's got a lot of poise. Um, and he doesn't seem to, to crack under pressure. Uh, conditions in Buffalo uh, or, you know, last night. I'm not in Buffalo. Was that in Foxborough? No, it was in Buffalo. It was in Buffalo. Um, yeah, I mean, that was crazy windy conditions there. So, I mean, if you're, it, it, if you're it's a kind Bills of a delayed fan, game, Mark, right? You are panicking What's right that? now. If you're a Bills fan right now, you're starting to panic. Oh, yeah, they they're, that they, they, they're not looking very good. Yeah, they got that sinking feeling in their pit. I I, I know it. Yep. But you know what? They, they get a rematch, and if the the weather conditions are different, we might see a very different game. So um, I don't think anybody is ruling the Bills out quite yet. But, um, yeah, they, they, they definitely got to get, get you back gotta up. You've got to hand it to Bills. Horse. Bills did a great job to the run game. Uh, they can't stop it. Shove it down their throats until they can stop it. That's literally what it was. Because, I mean, your quarterback yeah. two for three for 19 yards. <laughs> you, you, uh, what did I say to uh, on, on our group chat? You might as well just send, you might as well just send the, the, the quarterback home and just substitute him with the kicker. The kicker could have done that. I mean, two absolutely. for three for 19 yards. Uh, you know, you, you could have run the Wildcat the whole game if you wanted to try that, right? True. I mean, why not? Yeah. It was, it was so, impressive yeah, it was, to see how he just dissected the build. You know what I mean? How he took down the Bills that way. Just like, just took care of him like that. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, you know, you got to give him credit. I mean, he's a good, he's a great oh, coach. Yeah. Uh, Cam Newton's gone. You know that's, that's, he, he literally filled in this kid right in, in and look, the seven in a row, uh, they're looking up. They're, they look to be the front runners in the division again, especially with the Bills faltering. Miami not, not, not a, you know, Miami's not like a secure team where like you're scared of them. There's no scare in there, and the Jets. Come on, that's just like, you, is that a high school team or what's going on there? But <laughs> right, <laughs> the poor Jets. Oh, but that's another story. Hey, it's been great having Holly on for a full hour for the last two weeks. I don't follow, you know, college football very closely, but with all the coaching go round, and now we're getting to the thick of it uh, with the, you know, the playoff, you know, positions. Um, it's been great having Holly talk for an hour in the last two years. No, I mean, uh, Holly, great, great Holly brought me along as well, Mark, because, I mean, I was never into college football at all. I mean, I didn't have college football experience except for, like, you know, rooting for UCLA or something like that, you know, in that sense. But I've, right. learned, I've learned a lot. And then uh, we had uh, I know, I feel Troy Wilson here before her as well. So, But uh, very knowledgeable. Yeah, I feel caught up. For the first time, yeah. In, I no, don't she know, breaks it down easily. Years. She breaks it down easy, and it makes it makes it fun as well. So uh, let's go into the Holly mode for you, uh, Mark. Let's get into it here. Um, we had FX Mexico crown a champion. Congratulations to the Bulldogs taking down the Tankers, uh, nineteen to thirteen. So out in Mexico, so a really really good matchup. You can watch it right there as well on OFA Networks live at the Hub. 
So it was a really good matchup. Bulldogs pulled away towards the end there, but uh, uh, really congratulations to them. And you can uh, also uh, get spotlighted on our IG, on uh, Grid Interviews on IG. Yeah, it was actually taken by surprise um, that um, you know, FXF uh, kind of jumped to the finals without a playoff, right? Um, mm-hmm. They just took the top two teams. I, I, I don't know if that was some sort of administrative decision or if that was the way it was going to be, but uh, they just they took the top two teams and um, had their final. And um, I, I feel kind of bad now for the uh, – the Panthers, who ended up third in the rankings, same record mm-hmm. um, as the Tankers and the Bulldogs, five and one. So there were three teams that were five and one, but it was the Panthers that was the, the odd team out because of point differential, which was the tiebreaker. Uh, they only had right. they were plus ninety five, and the Bulldogs were plus ninety eight. So they got edged out of the the title game. Um, so that's too bad for for the Panthers, um, especially since they had beaten the Bulldogs during the regular season. But, you know, that's just the way the chips fell. Uh, To their credit, the Bulldogs, um, uh, you know, they played a tough game and they pulled it out. Um, I think it was an overtime. Um, It was an overtime. They get edged uh, 19-13. So um, it was a really interesting game. Uh, Ulfa Networks, thank you to them for doing the live coverage right there of FX Mexico. Uh, really interesting game. Uh, Mark, we had the semifinals uh, also, courtesy of FIBA Sports, FIBA Sports out of Monterrey, uh, Nuevo León. Uh, they got the coverage for all the semifinals of the Liga Elite Monterrey. Uh, we talked about Wolverines against Chimeras. Uh, they get edged 6-0. to zero. Wolverines get the win. Uh, Troyanas take care of business. I think you're the one that said it. Uh, they, they come in pretty pretty strong offensively. 32 to zero against the Ravens, and the Authenticas uh, not not a problem. 24 to zero against uh, the Lobos. So if you're the Ravens and Lobos and leave a donut in a semifinal, man, that just stings. Yeah, that's rough. And I, I was actually pretty surprised. Um, uh, not that the Troyanas win, or that they put up, you know. 32 points, but that they shut out the Ravens. Uh, that was mm-hmm. that was big. So you know, Troyanas are are red hot. I think going into um, going into the final against the Raiders. Uh, and as we were talking uh, last week, uh, the Raiders uh, better watch out uh, <laughs> because it, it seems like the Troyanas are um, are on a mission here. So. Um, That'll be uh, – hopefully we'll get to see that game as well. Yes, oh, such great um, – it's great to have all the games there on the hub um, there for the watching. And um, I think FIBA Sports will continue to uh, do the uh, finals, so you'll get the chance to see it under uh, FIBA Sport Live. Uh, so Group A, Mark, the Raiders undefeated, and you said uh, Red Hot Troyana's coming in here, so Group A, uh, Group Azul as they say, blue in English, but it's Group A, Group Azul. Uh, and then Group B, uh, Group Blanco, which is white, uh, Group White, uh, Wolverines, and you had them a favor to win, obviously, the matchup against Camaras, which they pulled off. 
They're taking on Le- mm-hmm. uh, Leonis this time around uh, for the Group B final. And then Group C, uh, Wolfpack, who got the bye, and uh, Group Purple, Morado, um, they'll be taking on Authentica. So big opportunity here for Authentica to stun the Wolfpack since they got the bye, and a good opportunity here for, like you said, Troyanas to really pull that upset and give the Raiders a, their first loss of the year and literally strip the title. Yeah, um, they could rip it away from them. Uh, you know, also shout out to the Leonis. Like, they upset the mm-hmm. Rockers. Um, you know, it seemed like an upset to me because uh, they were the highest seed in uh, that division, Blanco. Um, so I kind of think, like, all bets are off in, in, in that uh, the division Blanco final between Leonis and Wolverines. Uh, you know, it's kind of a toss-up there. And as you said, I- um you know, authentic does have a have a shot here against the Wolfpack. They'll definitely be the underdogs. You know, um, the Wolfpack with a couple wins under their belt, um, but it should be a good game. Well, it was interesting. Uh, interesting semifinals. Uh, we should have um, FIBA Sports coverage of the finals on December 11th coming up this weekend. Liga Elite Finals uh, Monterey. Also, Liga Elite Monterey is also putting a combine together, uh, I believe, in December, and they're going to be doing a combine because they're going to be doing a, a competitive um, state-to-state competition, Sinaloa, uh, Monterey, Mexico, uh, Osafe. They're going to have pretty much four, I believe, four different prov- uh, states are going to be competing for a national title, elite title, and that's going to take place, I believe, in, in 2022. So we'll keep tabs on that and the interesting uh, national teams or state teams, I mean, that they're going to compete within each other for a national title in, in, that, in that realm. So it's kind of interesting how they're going to set that up. But we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Lexfa, Lexfa and FX Mexico normally have that type of setup as well where they have different uh, state, state divisions. Uh, so it's broken down interesting in that sense. Uh, also, at the same time, it's a very uh, – time-consuming for us to tally everything weekly, right, Mark? <laughs> it's very time-consuming <laughs> to go from different different states and the outcomes. So we try to only focus on the main uh, the main divisions. So as an example, uh, you know, how we do WFA Division One or Division Two, as an example, uh, that's literally the focus that we're, we're putting ourselves into to cover it because there's just so much, so much sub-leagues and lower class leagues in Mexico with different types of re- uh, states and regions that we can't cover at all. That's why you want to go to the hub because at the hub you can get updates on everything else that's happening there that you won't get on Tuesdays. But uh, Lexpa, FX Mexico have Le- uh, FX Mexico has FX North. Uh, Lexpa has different um, areas of the country where it's northeast, south, and west, and they have more branches in that sense. So it's literally just branches of these groups. So interesting to see how Mexico. Uh, does a eight on eight arena, and then uh, Lafay has elevens, and also uh, Lexpa Lexpa hasn't uh, hasn't gone to elevens, or FX Mexico hasn't gone to elevens fully yet. So the only real elevens uh, league in Mexico is basically Lafay. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, and you, you have you have this sort of a. Uh, to have a better understanding of like how these seasons progress and how the, how the teams compete with each other. It's always helpful to know, like, um, if they're playing eight on eight, 
if it's outside or if it's an arena. Um, mm-hmm. And also how many teams. You know, one thing that makes Lexa, uh, Lexa, you know, uh, interesting is that they have eight, you know, eight teams. They have, like, pretty robust um, roster of teams. Same with a uh, legal elite Monterey, you know. We're talking about ten mm-hmm. different teams, and um, so when there's that much going on, it, it's, it, it becomes a bit sort of easier to, to sink your teeth into. Um, so, but you are right. Uh, there's there's a lot of football happening in Mexico um, at different levels. It, it's it's impossible to to cover it all, um, but it certainly um, it certainly um, underscores the importance of you know following the the game in Mexico, um, especially you know when the national teams get put together. I know we'll talk about this later, um, but we're looking forward now to um, NISAF Women's World Games in 2022, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we hope to see, you know, we hope to see as many national teams get there as possible. Uh, Mexico definitely made a statement in the most recent um, uh, Women's World Games in 2017. They kind of, uh, I think... Uh, made people take notice with their quality of play. So I, I'd very much like to see them um, play on that stage again. Uh, the return of the Australian team was announced uh, this a couple of days ago, uh, less than 72 hours. So the Aussie, uh, the Aussie team will field a team for the 2022 in Finland. So I can't wait to see them improve from their 2017 standing. Um, rumors have it that Germany will return. I cannot confirm that yet. I was trying to get a hold of uh, Richard McLean. Uh, could not confirm that. Uh, Italy was supposed to field the team. Austria, again, uh, none of those have been confirmed, so I'm throwing it out there as, a, as just a rumor. Uh, the teams that have been confirmed are Sweden, Finland, Great Britain, uh, Australia, uh, Mexico, U.S., and Canada. So we should have a field of eight, I think, is the goal. Uh, but one of those other teams will probably pop in. I know Germany was having problems with IFAB prior to the reorganization for IFAB in terms of, you know, trying right. to get on board with that. So we'll see how that transpires. The news, uh, the bombshell news that came out this week, obviously, Callie Branson, uh, the chief of staff of the Cleveland Browns, will now be Team USA, uh, officially announces her as head coach of the team first female head coach of Team USA in its history. Um, so, Mark, uh, I don't want to uh, say Kelly's not up for the task, but as a head coach, uh, it's a lot of pressure uh, because this is the team that's won every gold, and Canada looked good in 2017. There's a lot of teams that have improved, so I can't say that Kelly can't get it done, but it's going to be a lot of pressure uh, for her to live up to Coach Konecki, as an example. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it'll certainly be uh, very interesting to see how um, the you know the team uh, competes. Yeah, I think you just got to remember, like the team, the U.S. Team USA that's going to compete in 2022 is not going to be the same team as 2017 or you know 2013. Uh, you know, it's 
it's been a few years. It, it's just going to be very different. We're talking about it's been five years since the last time uh, mm-hmm. we've done this. So, but this is a big opportunity for Callie, obviously. Um, she, I think she's well positioned. She's a very organized person. You know, I think uh, putting together the, the the whole coaching staff that is. Um, that's where her her biggest work is going to lie. Um, obviously, once you get into the mode of practicing and, you know, putting the players, selecting the players, all that stuff uh, will follow. But um, I, I definitely think um, uh, she can rise to the occasion and, and logistically take care of these, um, take care of these things. Um, and, put Team USA in a way, in a, in a position to win. Uh, I'm not really very uh, worried that the team won't be competitive somehow. Um, no, I but, think there's so um, much talent in the WFA, WNFC talent pool that I don't think that's going to be a problem. It's going to be just, you know, how well, like you said, how well she puts together her her squad, her team, her support system to make sure that, this team, you know, defends the title, basically. It's a, it's a tall task, right. basically, as a coach. Because you, basically you've got to defend the title. That's, you own the oh, title, yeah. and the goal is obviously to defend the title. So uh, Canada's coming. Coach showed some grit, right? Even the Brits showed some grit. So, uh, you know, it, it's like uh, to a couple people that I've talked to already, the gap is closing. So it's, it's coming. And that makes it more competitive too for the for the IFAB tournament. Absolutely, and um, I mean, Callie has a few of those medals, so um, I'm sure she knows what the deal is um, mm-hmm. with the grounds eye with the grounds eye view. Um, so um, it's a great milestone, um, you know, to be the first woman coach of the Team USA um, football team. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's more interesting. Uh, really, that a, a former player and gold medal winner has is now coaching that team. Um, it's an honor to me too, because I, 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 it's an absolutely. honor to represent the country, but also it's an honor for her, like you said, to be part of a couple teams, and she knows what it means, you know, and she knows she's participated physically as well. Now it's going to be on the strategic side. Absolutely, and you know, um, uh, we talk a lot about um you know what women do after they're done playing the game where do they go what do they do what are the opportunities in football uh that are outside you know outside of the playing field and where are the opportunities so this is the kind of opportunity that you know should be celebrated and um the kind of it it really just kind of makes sense you know yeah, her resume speaks for itself, Mark. You know that uh, WFA champion, IFAB world champion. So there's a, the credentials are there. There's no, you know, this, she doesn't deserve this. I think she's deserving of it. Um, I think the the pressure is my only thing is the pressure will be on her, and I think she's she can rise to the occasion. I mean, she's been in hot games. She's been in the Boston DC DV, uh, DC Divas rivalry for a long time, right? That's about as close as you get to you know, fierce competition, and this is going to be no different. You know, she's just going to have to be uh, the play caller and the, the, the guiding light 
to uh, keep Team USA uh, at the gold status. Yeah, so, I mean, it will be a new role for her. I mean, let's, let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's not overlook that. Um, you know, head coach role is a role that I don't think she's had before um, at any level. Um, although she's probably, uh, you know, had um, other coaching. You know, obviously she's had other coaching roles. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is it. This is an opportunity. So, you know, it's, I think it's great. I think she'll do well, uh, especially with uh, depending on which coaching um, you know staff she puts together. Uh, there's obviously a talent pool in the WNFC, WFA, and all the other leagues in the states, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the players are going to want to, you know, try out at the, at the at the tryouts to try to get on that roster and get chosen to represent the country. So, uh, in, in, I anticipate this championship in Finland to be very intense because the Euro teams really want to crack at this and. What better way to you know to beat Team USA, right? Everybody's eyeing Team USA, so uh, especially if you look at Finland, home country, uh, Euro champion, uh, you know wh- wh- how would they not want to win it on homeland? That's literally what they're looking for in terms of setting it up for the IFAF. So interesting to see that as well. Um, we got a shout out to um, Jennifer Bergman, who also becomes head coach to the Orable Black Knights, Mark. So uh, awesome, awesome job there. She will be leading the Black Knights in 2022 as uh, the first female coach in the history of the Orable Black Knights, uh, and she will be leading the women's side as the head coach. Yes, that's fantastic news. Uh, congratulations to her. We you know, obviously wish her a lot of luck. Uh, the Black Knights had a very successful season uh, this past season, so um, – we uh, we expect that she's going to have some tools to work with, and um, that um, she is in a position to continue the success of that team. All right, and then Patrice Bowman of the DC Divas was also announced as uh, part of the NFL alumni program. Uh, we had uh, previously announced at the hub Catherine uh, Tylander, uh, Tylander if I'm correctly pronouncing it, uh, from Boston Renegades. That's right. Reese Green yep. from Arlington Impact. Uh, Monique Boone, who we talked before, Kali War. Uh, Lois Cook, everybody knows, TikTok sensation and DC Diva receiver. And then uh, Marlene Davis of the Richmond uh, Black Widows as well. So joins, she joins a, a high class there of six uh, nominees for the uh, internship for the NFL Alumni Academy. So congratulations to uh, Patrice Bowman for that. If you missed it on the hub, fantasy all-star Heather Hudson kicking ass in a Florida grid league right there beating two other males. So shout out to Heather for kicking ass over at the Florida grid league. Really awesome. Check it out right there at the hub. Um, The thing that happened also is I got the announcement coming in. Derby City will face WFLA South Carolina Dames on January 2nd for a exhibition scrimmage matchup type matchup. So uh, if anybody's interested, go to the flyer right there. You need to contact directly uh, the Derby City, either players or go directly to the Derby City page so you can get tickets for the event. It's going to be at Nissan Stadium, home of the Tennessee Titans. Um, We've had that type of event before, Mark, and it's kind of like failed in some ways. It hasn't been that successful. So hopefully this will be success. It'll be after the game, I guess, from the Tennessee game. So you, it's about 40 bucks for tickets. 
So Derby City, WFA versus WFLA. Uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup there January 2nd. So go to Derby City Women's Tackle Football right there on uh, Facebook as well. Yeah, I wish I had lived a bit closer, you know, and had a mm-hmm. chance to just to, you know, be in an NFL stadium and see something like that. Um, and, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, these types of, you know, you, you have to define what your success metrics are um, for any sort of situation like this. You know, two teams from different leagues. Um, one of them mm-hmm. we know is well-organized and well-run and obviously a good team, the D3 champs um, in the Derby City Dynamite. Um, the other team, you know, we're not even sure if the league exists. There doesn't seem to be too many signs of life there. Um, you know, we don't know much about the team, what the numbers are. Um, we don't know what the approach will be, if it will be um, run like more like a game or or more like a competitive practice. But I do, you know, anytime you can get into an NFL stadium, um, they're going to want to be showing off, you know, the best of what they got. So, um, unfortunately, you know, unless um, uh, someone films it, uh, we won't be able to see it. Because I won't be getting down to see anything. Hopefully so. they'll do a live stream of some sort because – I mean, you put it out there for fans to, to to see, but sometimes they put it out there and there's no access to it. So we, um, we'll we reach out to Derby City and see as we get closer to the game whether they're going to do some sort of live streaming or what are they they're able to do at this point with it as well. So uh, we'll check it out when they come out. Um, Stefa Balico, Stephanie Balico as well, uh, WNFC announces her head of the coaching and development uh, for the WNFC for 2022. So congratulations to her. And, and going forward with that, um, the other the other shout out is to Carlos Sanchez Mendez. She was uh, playing in Liga Fatimec in Mexico, and she was one one of the females on this uh, boy squad that won the championship. So congratulations to her for kicking butt out there. Yeah, great news. Um, you know, um, it's it's just interesting this time of the year, especially. Um, you know, to see these developments, uh, Stephanie Balashko has been, you know, she's been coaching for a long time, you know, um, long, you know, longer than a lot of people that, that, that we hear a bit more of, you know. Um, so I, it's such a great idea to put her in a position at the WNFC um, to help propel the, uh, the quality of play in that league. Really, really smart move, and um, uh, yeah, I mean there are so many uh, women and girls out there playing in men's and boys leagues, and and just showing up and um, getting it done on the field. Very exciting to watch. Interesting to see how all these changes will affect both leagues as we come into January and February, because that's when we start to shake up in terms of what's going to happen with the WFA. Uh, you know, what teams are in, what teams are out, what teams are added. Uh, same thing with the WNFC. WNFC has made changes almost every year since, since its uh, existence where you had, you know, certain teams come and go. And now we're going to have to, you know, 2022 is no guarantee that all the teams that finished in, in, in the past season are going to be basically back. Uh, we noticed that with the North Florida Pumas in the first year and the New Orleans Hippies 
in the first year. So they get every team gets reevaluated. Nebraska probably is not coming back at this point, like we, we mentioned before. So WFC pretty right. much vetting each team each season. So it, does, it won't surprise me to see uh, a certain certain teams from the previous season no longer in in the league for the new season. So it's in, it's I think it's just it's more professional that way. If you cannot, you know, you don't want to you don't want to put a, a, an organization that's not going to field a complete you know week of games. Because it's just disappointing to the brands, disappointing to the fans. Uh, you you want to you know all the men's leagues that don't pull that, where the the games are canceled, right? As an example, you don't want to do that. Right. You you start doing that, you you're not you're not going to be treated very, uh, what do you call it? Uh, consistently professional. You're going to be treated more amateur like, and you're not going to get the um, the volume of sponsors that you need. So you really have to you know make an effort to just you know vet everybody every year, reevaluate everybody year. And if you have to make changes, that's a smart move to do changes. All professional leagues do that, especially when you have owners' issues or you have field acquisition issues or you have depth issues with rosters. So hopefully, you know, uh, I, I'm just thinking the WNFC is going to look way different from from this year, this past year, like they did in the first year. So they've continuously always surprised me in a way where they always upgrade or they just kind of force certain teams out that are they're not able to commit to their structure. Yeah, I mean that that's that's an approach that I think was very apparent to them when they started the league uh it, with their objections. I mean, they want to be the top league, they want to be a professional league and therefore you have to have standards for each team. Um standards have to be attainable, but if you don't attain them, there has to be consequences. And mm-hmm. obviously, like, the harshest consequence is to just disinvite a team from the league. Um, and, you know, other things have, have happened. Um, you know, uh, I think in Los Angeles, the Bobcats, and whatever happened there um, wasn't working out for them uh, this past year. And it, it seems like the, uh, uh, the, the league kind rise. of took over. Yeah, they and they established the legends to be under uh, a bit and kind of a more um, stricter or a stricter leash or like given more control, you know, uh, control of the league so that they can have a quality team in Los Angeles. And, and you're right, you know, we will see, you know, we will see changes um, in in the next year. And the WNFC definitely you know, evaluates from year to year and, and they make changes and they address things that they discovered that they need to address. So for example, you know, bringing Stephanie Belashko on to um, help elevate the, um, uh, the level of the coaching, like you don't want to have to worry about uh, your teams uh, being properly coached or, you know, adhering to the same standards. Right. Um, so that's what Belashko is going to be there to do, which is which mm-hmm. is great. Um, they saw that need that they needed to do that. Une- you know, uneven coaching across the teams in your league, uh, this, you know, just definitely leads to um, disparity, along with other things. You know, your talent pool. It, it's hard for a small market team to compete with a, a, a larger market that's just got a larger talent pool. Um, but sometimes coaching can be the great equalizer. Um, so 
that they're focusing on that um, is is really wicked smart. And um, I, I think you I think you will see some changes in the WNFC. I think it will be improved from um, the year before. Um, and uh, it's getting pretty exciting. It's December now, right? Mm-hmm. It won't be long before we start seeing things like schedules and uh, that stuff next month. Um, so, man, and we don't know, Mark. We don't know the intricacies of how the WFA will structure Division One. I. I know there was an issue last year. You know, when we had the Division One previous to, previous year from that. So we have no idea what the yep. what the uh, you know WFA will do Division One. So there's two storylines there that we're going to be following, right? The structure of Division One and WFA and the revamping of some teams in the WNFC for the next season. So interesting to see how, like you said, January, February, even into March, we're starting to, we'll, we'll start to kind of look at things. And then we'll start bringing in people in here to kind of get, pick their brains, right, in terms of what are they going to be able to accomplish for the new season and things like that. So we'll start diving into both um, the U.S. leagues, top U.S. leagues, uh, and so we'll figure that out. Um, Mark, uh, Gridiron West, week eight, uh, Rocking, uh, Rockingham, Takes care of business. They take down Curtin Saints, uh, 32 to six. Perth, uh, shout out against West Coast Wolverines, and then Claremont, uh, another shout out against Hills, 20 to zero. So no surprise uh, with the Broncos, but we did say obviously that was going to be somewhat of a dogfight, and it did turn out to be somewhat of a dogfight there, 14 to zero. Rockingham off what uh, off a bye week, almost basically well rested almost throughout the whole season. Um, no problems with Curtin. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about the Rockingham Vipers uh, last week because they had to take a forfeit, uh, their second mm-hmm. forfeit they had to take um, over the season. And, um, and that was a bit of a disadvantage, to, you know, to them in the standings. So, you know, they're third behind uh, Perth and West Coast and without really kind of a chance if they haven't played in the games. But they did get in there. Um, against the Curtain Saints, um, they had a pretty strong victory, put up 32 points. Um, you know, Curtain is um, right in the middle of the standings there, um, and you know they are, they have three wins of their own, so a pretty competitive team. And um, uh, that was a good victory for them. Um, Interesting to see what Week Nine is going to look like because. Now it's going to get tighter and tighter. Uh, Rockingham, like I said, hasn't played that many games, so it's going to be interesting to see how they maneuver themselves in the last couple of weeks and through the middle of January and the first week of February as the season starts to end and wind. Interesting to see how that's going to happen. Perth, really uh, stable, consistent, uh, so we know what they're all about. Um, so it's going to be interesting uh, to see if they end up in, at the end uh, once again for a rematch. But uh, we'll keep tabs on week nine of Gridiron West. Upcoming in Italy, CFAP, uh, C- tabs on that and get you the results this weekend as December 11th comes up. Most of the players in the CFAP are actually in Israel. Uh, they're playing at the IFAB World Flag Championships. So if you guys haven't checked it out, go to IFAB.org. You get the live streams right there for the um, in- international competition, which is the IFAB uh, w- uh, women's world flag championships and uh, competing a lot of competing countries there. So check it out right there. Most of the, a lot of players from 
WFA and WNFC also included within the roster of Team USA. Um, so, Mark, uh, McKenzie's not coming in, so we'll dive in if you want. We've got 15 minutes. We'll dive into some NFL if you want to do that, or otherwise um, I can dive in by myself. It's up to you. Let's do it. I'll wing it. Okay, you'll wing it. That's fine. Well, let's go with it. Um, so, um, no problem, Mark. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, let's just talk about what's coming up this week. So we got Pittsburgh against Minnesota. Minnesota on a slide. Pittsburgh somewhat okay. Uh, Thursday night, uh, I think it's a must, more of a must win for Pittsburgh this time around to stay competitive in that in that division, especially with Baltimore and Cleveland and all that. So I'm expecting the Steelers to kind of pull this one off. Uh, Minnesota seems to be imploding, especially with Delvin Cook out. Not not so much in terms of the run game, and so Madison was contained. So I, I really think that uh, Pittsburgh gets some upside here if they can control the ball and, and, and make less mistakes. They'll get the win. How, how do you what do you think about you know Big Ben announcing that this was going to be his last season? How this might kind of impact uh, the play of the Steelers going forward? I know it's just it's a, it's kind of an intangible thing, and the tangible things in football are really sort of the the biggest tale tellers. Um, it, it seems to me like you if know, you're Minnesota a Steelers fan, Mark, I think you're really waiting for a change. I mean, this this, mm-hmm. this organization doesn't change quarterbacks very often, and they don't even change coaching very often. I mean, it's like one coach in the right. last what 15. So I mean, it's not like a New York Jets, right? <laughs> Whether the guy's going to finish six games <laughs> and you're hoping he's right. going to be around for a long time. Uh, here right. you already know. It's like it's probably time for the changing of the guard in a lot of ways, right? He's put up a good a good time there in, in, in Pittsburgh. He's going to be obviously, uh, you know, in, in a lore in some senses in Pittsburgh. So I, I just, it just, it's not shocking that he's retiring basically is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I don't think it's shocking either. Uh, you know, I'm just wondering what what the prognosis is for the Steelers going forward. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're I don't know if they're a playoff team this year. Um, but um, you know, Based on the maybe Big Ben can start. They're suffering very badly. They're I think rank 18th. They're six five and one. So they're not the the most competitive team right now, and that's why I'm saying going up against Minnesota, also a bad team. Um, you might want you might want to get some beer, extra beer, and maybe some wine on that Thursday night because you might have to unwind yourself from watching it. <laughs> that's the case. I like that. The, like can that they, put, a, can they put another game. game on Thursday? <laughs> yeah, I know that's a request. Uh, I think we should just request right. it now. It's <laughs> not happening. There's no flex there, Mark. They're not flexing nope. this guy. <laughs> uh, not flexing this guy at all. All right. Um, Mark, uh, we talked about Bill Belichick. So if you're Bill Belichick, uh, I guess you can put the meme where you're, just, you're laughing at everybody because uh, the 14-10 to 10 victory over the Bills pushed the Pats winning streak to seven games, gave them sole possession in the AFC as the number one seed within five weeks left in the regular season. Uh, Tom Brady was gone, right? There's nothing to talk about Brady anymore. Let's move on with our lives here. It is Mac Jones' show. It is Belichick, Mac Jones. It is the Jones-Belichick show now, and they're number one in the AFC. (laughs) So, 
yeah, pretty I, impressive. I, Nine I, and four. No, I don't think anybody could have predicted that at the beginning of the season. Oh no. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it, this is as good as it gets. Like to be in this position at this time of the year, um, whether they can, you know, hold on to that number one spot is is a different story. It, it was nice. Mark, I think it was nice for Mac Jones to sit a year behind Cam Newton, really dive into the playbook, and I really is, I think it's really beneficial. And I think that's what happened. Took a year off, substitute quarterback, and they put the kid back in here. Now he's a little bit more familiar with the system. Uh, you know, everybody's, you know, Mac, Mac uh, couldn't make it here today, so I apologize for our audience. But um, 2.0, Tom Brady 2.0, that's what she called him. So it, it looks like. <laughs> You know, we're going in the same direction as when when uh, Bill had uh, Tom Brady, right? The same kind of nucleus, same yeah. structure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's it's always so risky to take like a Ricky quarterback and then just throw mm-hmm. them in. And um, you know, I don't think Belichick was going to do that with any rookie quarterback, really. Um, you know, except out of like you know the utter end of need. But you know, you look at like the history of. Uh, quarter, you know, rookie quarterbacks, especially with like Cleveland, like, oh yeah, just throwing guy and they they're just ruined for life. <laughs> like they can't, you know. I think most rookie quarterbacks, you know, have a hard time handling that. Even if they are successful, you know, I think he in was that smart first year it doesn't in last. Sense, I think he was smart in the sense that he brought in Cam Newton because everybody didn't think highly of Cam Newton. To, to elevate his game anymore, right? Coming from Carolina, he wasn't that great. He kind of washed up. Everybody was saying he's washed up. Brings him in to be a filler for a year. Played pretty decent. Didn't play bad, right? Didn't have a horrible season mm-hmm. where you're at the cellar. It was kind of decent, right? You finished the season somewhat respectable. And I think that gave the kid, uh, Mac Jones, a little bit of time to kind of learn the playbook. And I think he's kind of taking advantage of that. The run game isn't there yet. I, I, I still think the Patriots are working on that run game to try to – get a good durable running back, you know, to try to get another durable running back to balance that uh, offensive attack. So, uh, you know, hats off to Belichick for just, you know, giving everybody else the finger. And if he goes to the Super Bowl and wins it with this kid, my God, talk about a bigger finger. Like, right. All the haters. (laughs) It's like, get out of here. Yeah. Belichick's doing Belichick things again. Oh yeah. Kind of got away from himself a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. which is a luxury you can have. Right when you have Tom Brady, um, having a guy like that can help you know, sort of cover up a lot of weaknesses in you know other areas. But you know, I think with the situation in in New England, Belichick's just kind of getting back to his X's and O's and just doing mm-hmm. his his thing, and um, and the team's just going out there and executing it. The defense has been pretty good um, from from what I can see. And that's always been a staple of of a Belichick um, football team. All right, Mark, uh, let's talk about this uh, rivalry going back to 1932, Bears and Green Bay. So I, I, I feel bad at this point for Chicago uh, because I know, you know, Rodgers is going to just take care of business here. Um, I, Andy Dalton's somewhat decent, but he's just not the guy. Uh, so if you're a Bears fan, you've been waiting for a quarterback for, like, zillions of years. Like, you would never get a quarterback. <laughs> like, this organization can never 
stabilize a quarterback at the position. I mean, my wife will tell you, she's a Bear fan. She's never bought a quarterback jersey besides uh, Mc, Jim McMahon, and that's like the '80s. That's nostalgia. I know. I mean, that's that's a long time ago. <laughs> Who's been the best quarterback for the Bears, Bears since then? Like Kyle? Uh, I, I Trubisky. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Trubisky. <laughs> I mean, it's a hard. Right. It's it's a it's a hard it's a hard call. That's a so, trivia yeah, question I mean, that you can throw with your buddies while you're drinking. Who's been the last bear, successful Bear quarterback? <laughs> no, I think it, the the most successful Bear quarterback was I, I can't remember his name. The the kid that went up against uh, Indianapolis against Peyton Manning. Yeah, and that's I, right. I can't remember his name right now. Right, Grossman. Did Grossman. We? Even the word sounds bad. Grossman. That's right. Rex Grossman. Not a good Rex quarterback. Grossman. Rex no. Grossman. There you go. Oh my God! I, 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 it came to mind so quickly. My my wife's gonna be proud of me. Rex Grossman. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, anyway, I mean, he lost to Peyton Manning, by the way. <laughs> right. A very good quarterback. Yeah, they're going to be looking across. You know, the, the fans are just going to be watching and wondering why they can't just have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers or even someone work, like. But I think the coaching Pat staff's Houston. bad. You know what I mean? The coaching staff's bad. The kid's good. Justin Fields is good. You would have put Justin Fields somewhere else. It's good. Um, Mark, what do we say of the, the Lions fan base thinking they won the Super Bowl this week? You know what? When you win, you've got to celebrate. Uh, <laughs> is your first win of the season? Oh, you know what the funny part, no. Marcus? Uh, Jared Goff's girlfriend was at a photo shoot, and somebody had to tell him that her boyfriend just scored the touchdown, put in the touchdown, and the Lions won. And she literally was just blown away that her, her boyfriend won wow. <laughs> a game. <laughs> That's going to tell you that. Detroit fans right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, the Detroit fans have been hurting for a long time. One of my best buddies is is a, a Lions fan, and it's just like getting kicked in the groin every year. It's brutal. It's so brutal. I thought as a Ram fan sometimes when you when we have a three-game three slide, we're, it's devastating. But <laughs> if you're a Browns fan or a Lions fan, boy, bless you. God bless you, right? <laughs> God bless you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you got. I mean, you got to kind of respect the uh, endurance. <laughs> oh, and loyalty is the word, Mark. I thought I was loyal. Yeah, they, they, they're loyal, man. <laughs> year in, year yep. out, in the cold, and also loyal. You know, it, wow. Every year, you just keep getting deeper and deeper into it. So, <laughs> it's not ironic <laughs> that the the higher beer, uh, beer sales are in Cleveland and and Detroit. So, sure, not ironic. Not ironic. It's crazy. It's true. <laughs> All right, my Rams are going up against uh, the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they get Kyle Murray back, really exciting quarterback. Looks like they're gonna, you know, gonna be an exciting thing. Last time, last time we faced them, they had very competitive. Uh, it's it's a wake up call for us as you know for my team. Uh, Arizona's in the driver's seat for both the NFC West and the number one seed. So an opportunity for the Rams to really, you know, put out and show up. Uh, otherwise, Arizona is going to be uh, in good position, kind of like the Patriots. Yeah, I think you're right. This would be a very, very big 
uh, win for the Rams to get one over the Cardinals and just kind of take them down a notch and just make that race a little bit closer than it is right now. And you're right, if, if the Cardinals take it, uh, they're really solidifying their uh, their grip on a playoff um, seed. So um, this is uh, this seems like the best choice for the Monday night game. Uh, I think of all the matchups that are here. Um, it's a big game. Yeah. It's a big game. I, I, I certainly will be watching. So Chicago, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, Rams, Arizona, really key games coming up here this, this next week. So check it out right there. There's a couple key matchups as well that I'm going to dive into right now before we get out of here. We've got, got a couple minutes here. Uh, Seattle will take on Houston. Seattle uh, took care of San Francisco. Um, San Francisco will take on Cincinnati. Uh, it's a desperate game for the Niners, especially with their injuries that are happening right now and everything that's going on. Uh, they, uh, San, D, uh, Demo, uh, Demo Samuel's out. Uh, Cincinnati Burrow and company playing pretty good ball. Um, will uh, Mark, let's just throw it out there. Will Detroit beat Denver and get two two uh, wins in a row? People in Detroit, are you know, like December wins. It could happen. I, I could don't happen. Know what the weather is that. Uh, it if, could be in Denver. I don't, really I don't think Win Dominey wants. I don't think Win Dominey wants the uh, the Denver Broncos to lose to Detroit Lions. So I will tell you that right now. I think oh, she, no. she's not going to be happy with that prediction. No, of course not. I think the Broncos will <laughs> win. <laughs> she's going to want Denver to take care of business here. Um, and then we have the battle of uh, the Midwest there. Uh, Baltimore taking on Cleveland. We're going to get Atlanta against Carolina. Interesting uh, matchup there as well. And uh, the Falcons on a slide there. Vegas against the Chiefs, kind of a rivalry game right there. Dallas, Washington. I, I wish Mac was here because I was going to just throw that out there. Dallas, Washington, an opportunity where Jennifer King's uh, Red, uh, Redskins uh, football team is literally competitive right now, and they're playing pretty good ball. Yeah. Dallas coming off that somewhat good win, but they're you know on the edge there. So really good matchup, Dallas, Washington, right here. Um, Pretty, pretty much key games. So if you're one of fans of the, any of those fan bases, interesting. Monday night's going to be my night, of course. Can I keep tabs on everything that's happening there? Because I really want that the Rams to take care of business. They look pretty decent against the Jaguars, which is a false sense of security for me. <laughs> right, Mark? You beat the Jaguars. Right. Okay, don't pat yourself too close on the back because that's <laughs> not so great. <laughs> now you really have to show up against Arizona to see what you really, really are worth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, they're, they're the toughest team in the NFC from all looks of it. So um, that's the one. That's the one. you got to get it. All right. So uh, great show today. Um, like I said, apologize to our fans for not uh, having the salty one here. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it today, but she'll be back next week, of course. And uh, you can always get replays of her uh, every, you know, every other week so you can spend your time wisely on our podcast subscribe replays thank you everybody for uh subscribing listening to us and bringing uh attention to women's american football weekly uh in the second hour as well to college football thanks to the hall of famer for coming here and giving us the lowdown on college football thanks again to mark simone here giving us the lowdown on the international women's news and notes and don't forget everybody go to the hub facebook.com forward slash gridiron beauties check it out and if you're inclined for christmas gifts we got the No Joke Football Shop at Zazzle.com forward slash Beauties. So check it out. 
Use our code Zazzle Thanks for 15% off. If there's a higher code, of course, take advantage of the higher code, up to 25% off on certain codes at Zazzle.com. Get yourself a nice, cool shirt for under 20 bucks, uh, and you get uh, Zazzle Black for free shipping. So pay 9.99, you get an annual annual free shipping. So take advantage of the 10 bucks right there. Throw it in. Get free shipping if you're going to buy stuff from us for the whole December. Uh, make sure you order early. If you're in Europe, make sure you go to the uh, Zazzle.com forward slash Grand Beauty site. Go all the way at the bottom, and you got your country code right there. Tab it, and then you're into your own um, website on your own country with your own denomination, and it's obviously fit, uh, faster shipping as well. So check it out. No joke football shop. Zazzle.com forward slash Grand Beauties. Pretty cool gifts under 20 bucks. So check it out. All right, Mark, uh, I think that's it for us, right? It's uh, pretty much done. So, Hall of so. Famer with college football, yourself with that, and pretty easy. So, man, these two hours fly by pretty fast. It's a lot of fun and a lot of information. All right, Mark, I'll see you here next week. We're going to dive into Italy, dive into Week 9 in Gridiron West. We're also going to dive into uh, the championships in uh, the Liga Elite Monterey. So, pretty interesting uh how those are transpired next week, and we'll keep tabs. But other than that, go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash gridiron beauties. Get the lowdown on everything that's happening in the sport right there. So uh, for uh, Mark Simone, the absent, the salty one, Mackenzie Brooks, and uh, Nate Ward, plus uh, Holly Custis, Oscar Lopez here. We'll see you here for 403 next week as we dive into college football, the international news with women's news notes finals over in Mexico. And we're going to dive into week 14 recap of the NFL. So have a great night, everybody. ...is the fastest-growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy-to-play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50.